This is Talking Dirty, Get Gardening's podcast for plant lovers. The video version is available on our Get Gardening YouTube channel, so you can head over there if you want to see our ugly mugs, and there are pictures of the plants there as well. There are full plant lists on our Twitter and Instagram at Get Gardening Now, so go check those out. But without further ado, let's start Talking Dirty. And welcome to episode 49 of Talking Dirty. Over at East Ruston Old Vicarage, looking very preppy today, we have Alan Edward Herbert Gray, our happy and very handsome horticulturalist. Well, thank you very much for that. Preppy, I don't know about that, but I had just popped a sweater on because it's getting a little bit chilly, actually. We, we, we started this morning with rain and we've now got mist, but it's a low mist over in Cambridgeshire, smiling delightfully. It's thought as... Maria Sophia Friedrichsen, um, looking divine in a horizontal. Actually, how do you carry horizontal stripes off? Because I was always told that ladies shouldn't wear horizontal stripes. Let's just say I don't wear this out of the house. It's fine <laughs> for a podcast, but my body type does not take horizontal stripes out and about in the world. So uh, it's, it's, it's for this and this alone. <laughs> Looking very smart, our guests this week, if you're watching the video version, and you'll notice we have multiple guests, people we have been setting up a podcast with for ages, kind of runners, gurus in the gardening podcast world, I would say, hortpreneur Michael Perry, also vegan gardener and author Ellen Mary. Welcome to Talking Dirty. I want to go down the middle name route, but then I don't know Ellen whether you've got another one as well or <laughs> I love the fact that you introduce each other with your full names that is so awesome I feel like I want to make up a lot of names I'm like Ellen Mary Jane Alice oh, of course Ellen Mary that's there already isn't Catherine it Catherine yeah. Webster I'm sorry what's your my name is Ellen Mary Webster. It's as simple uh-huh. as that. <laughs> Were you always Ellen Mary or did you add the Mary in? Because as in like, did was it always supposed to be your first name as both of them? No, it was always Ellen and their middle name, Mary. Um, my, my dad wanted to call me Mary Ellen and my mum absolutely refused point blank. Yeah, but a lot of PRs still call you Mary Ellen, So don't many they? people <laughs> call me Mary Ellen. And if I get something that says to Mary Ellen, I'm like, ah! <laughs> my mum will be so upset and um, but no it kind of just got it kind of caught on and um, my dad used to say Ellen Mary and other people have said Ellen Mary and then that's just what's happened which is fine what about you <laughs> Michael uh, well I used to use a stunt middle name for a while uh, when I was a bit younger I used to use John as a middle name um I don't know why <laughs> I can't even remember now. I just think I wanted to be a little bit more, you know, glossy. <laughs> but yeah, I don't use that these days. So no. And obviously I've got the moniker Mr. Plant Geek. And I would also get annoyed, as Ellen Mary does, when keep people call me the Plant Geek. <laughs> or Mike. <laughs> yeah, or, or Mike. Mike. Never call me Mike. Like, why would you randomly shorten someone's name? Like, <laughs> ow? <laughs> Quite a few people that work with me call me Al, yeah. and I've never been called Al in my life. No. I, 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 I used to be known as at school. I was called Al G. Yeah, I'm Al G because of Alan Gray, um, and there was another Alan in the class, so I became Al G. Um, <laughs> what else have I become? Um, AG. Alg. Alg. Um, <laughs> I was never ever called Al until about two years ago, and suddenly it seems to have caught on. People are calling me Al. But, but maybe for the podcast today, we could all be like Al, Thor, Mike, and L. 
you guys, obviously, plant-based podcast, four seasons in, four series in. I went all American for a second there, um, <laughs> which which is remarkable. I mean, when you started, obviously, you wanted it to carry on and grow and grow. But now, top of the charts, you know, guests from all kinds of corners of the plant-based world. And it just grows and grows and gets better and better. I don't know how that happened. It just, I think like with anything that, but both of us, we're quite similar. Anything we work on, it's just driven by passion. So you don't often kind of notice what you're doing sometimes. It's just, we're really excited about the podcast. We love talking to different people, kind of pushing it out there. And yeah, just, and it, it's quite easy. It doesn't feel ever like it's a chore, but I guess that's where, you know, your passion meets your career, isn't it? And that's, yeah, it is. kind of encapsulated in that. Yeah, so it is. Yeah. You, and I'll tell you what you don't do, Michael. <laughs> you don't clock watch ever. Oh no, not when it's your passion. No, not at all. No, no, no. no, no. Yeah. And also being freelance that adds a different kind of element yeah. into the mix as well because you're you're never off. And I feel like because my my hobby is also my career, it's like well, I'm never switched off. You know. Yeah. No, you are like the Duracell yeah. bunny. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously your podcast takes things like a step further than ours because we are entirely plant focused really kind of for the love of plants for the celebration of plants and you take that into all of the ways in which plants are part of our lives yeah I think that right from the very beginning we knew that we wanted it to be um more than just gardening I say just mm. gardening because that is the core and everything that we do but but you know I'm plant-based and we're always so interested in, you know, how plants are incorporated into our world. So that could be the well-being aspect or it could be, yeah, in our clothing or our food or growing, mm. of course, because we do gardening and everything as well. But we just wanted to, like you celebrate, you know, plants. We kind of wanted to celebrate plants, but but we in also every in, in every yeah. single form that we possibly mm. could to try and just kind of put out there that plants are, are so intrinsic to everything that we do. And, you know, often the perception is it is gardening only, but what is mm. the result of the gardening and growing the plants, you know, and it is clothes and it's building materials mm. and all the other things as well. So mm. we're, we're constantly discovering new stuff. Aren't yeah. We? I love it. And that's what's so exciting. Yeah. I tell you what's amazed me in recent weeks is that is the realization of just how many things are made out of bamboo. Yeah, uh -huh. especially pots these days, and they yeah, barely pots. you can't recognize them, you know. No pots and clothing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I course. have the the silkiest <laughs> socks ever made from bamboo. Like you can wear them for two days in a row. Can you? I do. <laughs> <laughs> No, because you never sweat in them. They're really, they're lovely. And the underwear, but just tell us about the socks. <laughs> the underwear is super soft, but I do recommend changing it daily. <laughs> we'll take that one on board, Ellen, Mary, I'll tell you. If there's anything that you're going to learn today, that's it, that's it right? Well, it the old days when they just used to turn them inside out and wear them a second day, didn't they? Yeah, true, <laughs> with it being a passion and um, and with your your scope being so wide, how on earth do you go about picking who you're going to talk to? We have a hard enough trouble. We sometimes sit down and talk about all of the nursery men and women and plants people and gardeners that we would love to have on the, the podcast. But we only have that kind of one topic. You've got so much to choose from. I don't know. I think it's kind of, I don't know about you, Ellen, but for me, like everything, all the work that I do is always very instinctive. It's almost, 
I don't ever procrastinate or think about anything much. It just kind of comes and it's just like, oh, we should do that. We should do that. And then somehow it just falls into place. And I guess we see unique stuff out there and we want to share it with other people. So, oh, we can't give many ideas. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to tell you a few ideas for series five, but no, no, no. That, like... <laughs> it's just, yeah, just stuff comes up and we just feel instinctive. I, would you I say think, it's instinct? I think so too. Yeah. I think you, like you're super creative. Because we're interested and as well. I think, so. Yeah, so yeah. I think that we're constantly, re like constantly reading things. You read like the mm. horticultural news and all of that kind of stuff going on in the magazines. And then obviously we both do loads on social media and you see so much stuff like mm. the gardening community out there is so awesome. So we pick up things and then, um, and this isn't a secret, but we have like a spreadsheet and basically whatever ideas we have, we just chuck it all in there. And then we kind of select what we think would be you know, really good for it, that would make up the series of lots of different elements. So I always think that like Michael's the instinctive creative one. And then I go, okay, well now let's just make this happen. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of, I'm the person that kind of reigns you in sometimes. <laughs> She's the square. She's the square. Well, someone's got to be. <laughs> I don't know about you, Alan, but I think the most exciting thing, certainly from our guests, is how it shapes what you then go out and do in your own life I know that you've either been sent plants by uh, by guests on the podcast Alan or um, you've then gone and put an order in and changed you know maybe what you were planning at East Ruston based on something you got inspired by as part of the podcast well I think I'm more probably more like Michael than you realize because I think I don't tend to think I mean I don't tend to think hmm. about it I, I what no. I tend to do yeah. I tend to think oh I'd like to grow that so I go out and I get it and then I think how I'm going to grow it. I mean, I don't, this happened with um, <coughs> with Darcy and Everest the other day. We were talking, um, and we were talking about um, oh, there's little things like mesembryanthemum daisies. I've forgotten what they're called. Telespermas. Thank you. Oh, yeah. nice. And so I got uh, I got a selection of them, and I thought they arrived. I unpacked them. They opened their faces and smiled at me in the sun. It was a lovely, lovely sunny day. And I thought, now what the devil am I going to do with these? <laughs> yeah, God. Well, same, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I found an, uh, a circular cast iron drinking trough, which had a hole in the bottom. Um, and it was, it was kind of a little bit rustic, rusty, I mean, really, but rustic looking. So I filled it with a gritty mix, plonked them in, and they're now sitting on gravel and they look fantastic. Just yeah. there, elevated from the ground by that, just that little bit. But, you know, suddenly there's nothing but them. And they are the star show and it, it's lovely. If you procrastinate too much, you never get it done, you know? So I, yeah, I'll just get it and then think about how to sort it out later. That's it, you know? Mm. Yeah, but actually, definitely. even in a small garden, you'll normally find the opportunity because I, I got um, rather taken in by a little Thumbergia, or Thumbergia, Thumbergia, however you say it. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember, Arizona something. It's a, like oh, a yeah, yeah. Dark chocolatey one, and uh, and I've only ever grown the sort of more sunsetty apricotty ones. Anyway, I bought it, and I, I've done nowhere to put it. But then, of course, you look around, you find a little space, you of find course. somewhere to tuck it, you get it climbing upwards, and you're like, yes, and now it's sort of completed the picture. So I'm very glad I was wooed. <laughs> There's always space for more. Plants. Yeah, I've become the king of overplanting. I'm planting stuff on top of other stuff, or. <laughs> You know, I'm not doing anything that the RHS book would tell me to do, you know. <laughs> That's not such a bad thing in actual fact. No, because, I mean, not at all. One, not one, at of all. My, one of my early early sort of friends in gardening, she didn't live that far away. She's very elderly now, but she she had a cottage garden and it was literally that, a cottage garden with a little veg and fruit, veg and fruit patch and all the rest of it. 
but her aim was to get three seasons of growth from one little hole in the ground. So mm. it, would, it would start off with spring bulbs underneath whatever was growing there, then it'd be a perennial. And if the perennial was something like an early flowering uh, oriental poppy, she'd hack it back and she'd plant two or three cosmos or clear around it yeah. to do the show later on. And that's what, that's what happened. And it worked and the whole thing kind of knitted together and it made this vast tapestry of color. Um, so, I mean, you know, when you've got a small garden, I mean, it's tricks like that that you need to, you need to know. Yeah, oh, definitely. And I, I cannot bear when, you know, you walk past a garden like, and you see like, you know, lobelia, one planted here, one planted here. It's like all of that bare soil is not only ugly, but it's hard work, you know? Oh, yeah, <laughs> I just think it's ugly. It's just horrible. But, you know, yeah, so I'm just planting, planting, planting. If you go back in time, you go back to the 1690s, 1700s, um, we had the Dutch influence of gardening in this in this country. They did the bare soil thing. You had um, a clipped a little piece of clipped topiary or something. Then you had a space. Then you had a plant because you were meant to look at the topiary individually or the plant individually, not see the whole thing as a as a, a single picture. If you see what I mean. But I think today we're more about pleasing ourselves. And I think the modern young people that are starting to garden today for the first time, I think they're having enormous fun. I notice there's a greater influence probably in foliage than there is in pretty flowers, if you like. Yeah, that's true, actually. In houseplants, for yeah. sure, yeah. 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 People yeah. are looking at textures, aren't they, in different heights yes. and, putting, well, and having mm. like a piece of art in front of them that they can just yeah. look at in one go mm. and there's like every, there's so much going on. So yeah, I think that's, true. that's true. Yeah. My garden. <laughs> <laughs> It becomes an in integral part of their life, the way they lead their life. So their outside space is um, not just the garden, but it is an outside space. It's like probably an outside living room in lots yeah. of ways. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely yeah. true. Bringing like the outdoors in and the indoors out, that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and just kind of expanding mm -hmm. your home for that to be like another room. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's also um, exciting. I think a lot of people kind of get into gardening to attract wildlife and to plant lots of mm -hmm. bee-friendly plants. And I know, uh, Ellen, Mary, you were kind of pointing out the other day on your Instagram, even if you've got a tiny urban garden, you can still have lots of things in flower, attracting lots of pollinators yeah. to your patch. Yeah, I just, you know, I think the perception is if you have a small garden or if you live in the city, that it's hard to attract pollinators. But when you plant, they genuinely do yeah. come, you know. And the birds as well. The birds, the know? bees, you know, butterflies, all kinds of mm. insects, even vine weevils. So <laughs> I've got a very small front patch. And uh, when I moved in, there was already some planting going on in there. But in autumn, I rammed it full. I just made a little path through the middle so that I could at least kind of get into it, you know, and, and be immersed. But I can sit in the lounge in the city and I can see bees buzzing around. Um, mm. I've, I've read admirals all over the front garden. They just absolutely love it. And I go out there in this tiny space, you know, with all the buildings all around, and I can see a vast selection of insects that you just don't see in the gardens that are paved yeah. over or, you know, are, are just shingle. And so I think, you know, we have to open our minds a little bit to that, you know. But I think it's because previously, like, the gardening media and the kind of the people that taught us about gardening were perhaps just so serious about it all the time, and they didn't really it doesn't really allow beginners to kind of have a go and they feel like there's lots of rules to follow, et cetera. And I think that was a real barrier, but now we've got the internet and social media, you know, people can see there are different ways to do stuff. And 
I'm trying to push the boundaries all the time. And I just, I said to Ellen, when I gave her a little tour of my garden, there's like, there's weeds coming up, like mayweed, yeah. nettles, but I'm like, I'll just have a little, why shouldn't you just have a little pocket of those in your borders? You I know? love having some nettles. Yeah. The ladybirds love nettles. Definitely. And you can have a nettle tea or you can make mm. nettle plant food. So, you know, why not have a mm. few little nettles? But it's more about what other people think, because I'm looking at the same for my front garden. I'm thinking, what if my neighbours see that I've got nettles growing in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> you must keep up with the Joneses and get rid of those nettles. But I've got a really lovely wild look and I've got tulips that are going to seed and I'm kind of, I want to leave it all because it gives you lovely textures and yeah. also makes it easier as well. Yeah. You know, lower maintenance. But I also do think the younger generation who are now coming into gardening, they're mm. much more aware of the environment and sustainability than we, we weren't really taught anything like that at school. You know, that's something that they are being taught and they know that plants and gardens and trees and what you know and we they are learning the importance of bees mm. and actually how amazing dandelions are so I think that that's you know that's part of of, of all of this. Do you think they're as worried about keeping up with the Joneses? No. No. Good, yep. And good for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I wonder if there is like more more of an appreciation of individuality perhaps than when any of us were young and um, yeah. you're right like it is hard I think particularly with a front garden which um, I do a lot of gardening out there because the back garden is for the other half and the dog as much as it is for me. Whereas the front <laughs> garden, as long as he can get up the garden path without mm. getting too wet on a rainy day from the plants that are overgrowing it, I'm kind of allowed my free reign there. And um, I think I, I also, um, I kind of I want to make people smile as they go past, but I do sometimes wonder if they're thinking, why is she growing that there? Doesn't she realize that that's in the wrong place? But actually, mostly people are kinder than that. They're just going, oh, look, there are some yeah, flowers. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I kind of hope they might laugh as well. I've got um, absolutely huge um, uh, animagus at the very front. Oh, it's lovely. seeded at the front of the front garden, which is ludicrous. It's so, <laughs> oh, cool. That's so cool. And it's in front of everything else. Um, my neighbours ended up with one as well, but he doesn't seem to mind. But I mean, okay. obviously it shouldn't be there, but I kind of like that. Hopefully people don't. Oh, I love that informality. <laughs> when um, when I planted lots of my tulip bulbs, I wanted to plant them right next to the pathway so that they kind of awkwardly would spill over and the foliage is then on the path. And I love just, yeah. When you slip over on the foliage though? I don't care. I just want it to look <laughs> nice and informal and cool. See? We're almost very different, if, can you tell? Totally. Almost <laughs> as if the bulbs had landed from space, you know? That's the look I want. Listening to the pair of you, there's no doubt who the practical one is. the alchemist that sorts through the ideas and makes something wonderful out of them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've got a couple of little plants I'd like to mention, not little at all, really, but for, for people with small gardens, or one of them is, and that's Echium pinanana, which you see around about quite a lot today. Oh, we call yeah. them bee towers because they are just, I mean, up to 8, 10, 12, 14 feet. But they are absurd. Bees. Yeah, they are absurd. But yeah. they're a young person's plant, I think. And once yeah, you've got, true. you know, they'll sell seed and you can give the seedlings away or you can plant them where you want them mm -hmm. to grow. And the other thing that I, the plant that I mentioned is, um, it's called Mathiacella Green Dream. Oh. And it has, it has panicles of green flowers that look exactly like little green hellebores that fade to pink over time. And it's absolutely buzzing and buzzing and buzzing with bees. I mean, there's just so many bees in this plant. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, and it has bracteose petals. So the texture of the petals is almost leaf-like, which means that they don't flower, they don't fade like a petal, they stay. 
Wonderful. So but so from being green in April and May, by September, there'll be this burnt rose colour, but they're still there. And that's perfect. It's like having two, <laughs> two for one in a plant. And I think that's something that younger people definitely, well, all of mm. us really are looking for. We want to have something that has interest over numerous seasons. So that sounds yeah, lovely. You get, that with, that blue, one up? you get that with blueberries as well, don't you? My blueberries yeah, aren't doing very well on the allotment. Lovely fragrant flowers, fruit, and then autumn foliage. Yeah. No harder working plant than a blueberry. Well, it would be nice. If I, it'd be nice if I could actually harvest some. But yeah, sure. Have you ever eaten the pink blueberries? No, because oh they're pink, god. not blue. Yeah. Oh my god. They're, have you ever tried them though? Pink lemonade variety. They're really they're glorious because. They don't have that kind of tartness that you get from a blueberry. They're a little bit sweeter. Obviously, blueberry's not working so hard for you on your allotment or in your garden. But um, for you, Ellen Mary, as a small garden owner, what is your kind of favourite performer for a lot of interest? Okay, so on my front garden, <laughs> in my front garden, I have absolutely rammed it full. I've got actually this is a really basic one that we all know. Sorry, all the hands. <laughs> jazz hands. Hardy, jazz hands. Yeah, <laughs> this is how excited I am. Oh, um, I really love hardy geraniums. Um, uh, because they do last a really long time. They flower a long time. They take up so much. Space, you know, you can cover all of the ground with them. You I can love stand them. On the them bees as well. love them. <laughs> um, but my front garden, I've got a huge big buddleia, and some people will go, Ugh. I keep it very well trimmed, but the red admirals absolutely love it. Um, I've got verbenas, I've got um salvias, I've got some peonies, which I don't recommend for long interest because they really they 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 bloomed about three days ago and then we had rain today and I left my house this morning and well, they've disappeared, but they were beautiful while they were, you know, blooming anyway. I have got a huge acanthus, acanthus mollus, and I love that. Great big green foliage. Do you like that? You're looking at me a bit. No, like I do. This. I just um, know when you touch them, they're really painful, the flowers, because the flowers look kind of harmless, like a beautiful kind of foxglove. And then you touch them, it's like, oh, shish. <laughs> yeah. shish, you won't need to bleep out shish will you but no? it's taking up it's taking up loads of space so it's kind of like a whole corner of it i've had loads of iris um what i've got loads of um yarrow which i also love because that goes on and on and what on color? um i've got yellow and i've got a really vibrant pink and i can't remember what variety it, mm -hmm. it was um but also that's great for cutting so i love being able to cut stuff and put it in a vase even just a few stems yeah, yeah, i just yeah. think that makes you feel happy that you've grown something in your garden you can put it into a vase so for me it's just anything that I like gets put in but it is a bit more practical than just letting tulips drop from space mm -hmm. and not worrying about I don't know what the question was but that was a very long answer for her then to be like anything at the end <laughs> I wanted to know what your favourite things were for a small space because I think oh, right. like, as someone with a tiny garden it's Sorry really, you got such a diatribe I think it's really well it is obviously undeniably really hard and obviously Alan you have got 32 acres which slightly rules you out from talking about having a small garden but it's divided <laughs> it's divided into small garden rooms and so you do know and actually your private kind of courtyard Mm -hmm. um, yeah. area is very small and that's sort of your space away from the garden so you do know a little bit about this even if people don't think <laughs> you do <laughs> I, can, I can remember coming to your sorry Alan before you say and you had a um, um you had an amazing brugmansia I can remember yeah. that mm. and that and I it 
I was always amused about how it comes grows every year because they don't usually you'd have to protect it over winter, right? Yeah, they do. They go undercover for the for the winter. We root prune them, we top prune them, we put them into much smaller pots, and we put them in the greenhouse for the winter where they look as if they're going to die, but they never do. Yeah, um, amazing. But cool. uh, yeah, I mean, and then you feed like the very devil, like a very devilish self. So you do, so you do, because <laughs> <laughs> they're so greedy. I mean, you know, and the other thing I do here is um, I grow lots of things in pots, including dahlias. And right. people, visitors to the garden say, well, I didn't know you can grow dahlias in pots. Well, you can grow anything in a pot if, you, if the pot's big yeah. enough, you look after it well enough. Um, it probably some things like roses in particular are more, more successful if they're planted in good soil in the ground, but you can do it, it can be done. I think your dogs are agreeing with you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so I can hear the dogs barking in the background. Oh, like, yes, yes, we agree. But I think, the, you know, the reason why I said about the Rugmancy was that, you know, I've, the, the back garden at mine is, it is just a patio and everything's in pots. And, you know, that's another thing that, like, just what you said, Alan, sometimes people don't realise that you can grow anything in the pot. You know, yeah. even when you read something that says, oh, this, don't grow this in a pot, or, oh, or, or it doesn't. Don't believe anything you read. Or it might, <laughs> it, it might not say this can be grown in a container. So you, you assume that it always can't. always try it. But anything. Any, anything can be pretty much grown in a container with the right care. And so, like, with your Brugmansias, for example, if you have a small space, you can literally have the most stunning plants that you would never imagine could grow and in a pot and that like that's incredible you can create tropical spaces why are you laughing at me you could create a mediterranean space in a small garden have a little olive tree which is doing amazingly well you know i i love small spaces because i think it makes you get creative you have to really think about it and use all of your vertical space as well alan your your courtyard area what do you plant in that um well i'm always always experimenting with it and as you know around my back door I have a, 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 a fuchsia very small silver leaf fuchsia but through growing through that and it's full of bloom right now is uh, jasmine polyanthemum which is the the jasmine that everybody buys at Christmas on those little round hoops uh, yeah. um, <laughs> supposedly tender but it grows there and it grows really well and so I'm always experimenting um, there's another jasmine um, that comes from India somewhere and I can't remember the name of it again which is supposed to be tender but it grows in my back courtyard which is I mean the kitchen wall is next to the and we do we have an arger in our kitchen which is on the whole time so presumably there must be some residual heat that goes through the wall um what's the national flower of Chile Michael oh I don't know <laughs> it's called Lapageria rosea oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that plant. Oh my god, there's a white one as well. We yeah. used to sell it for it has, Thompson Morgan. It has these lovely um waxy bells that, that are born in September and October. Um, very difficult to grow in this country. It's very difficult to grow under glass because it dislikes heat. It grows in the forest of Chile and where it has um kind of a level temperature with uh, with high humidity. Mm -hmm. So it, it, but it's not, I mean, it's the kind of temperature if you took your shirt off and you went out into the air, the air would feel cold, but it's mm. very moist. Anyway, um, so I grow that in there as well. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, it's a continual experimentation in actual fact, because um, I also collect old fashioned pelagoniums, um, mm -hmm. zonals, oh, zonals, regals and uniques. Um, and, you know, 
any of those that I'm trying out, I put in my little sun trap of my, my kitchen courtyard, as I call it. Well, that's um, cool. They go on a table in there and they sit there and I can assess them. And I, I have to look at them every day because they're by the back door where I come and go. And, you know, it, it encourages you, I think, to, to, to uh, push the boundaries. Yeah, um, I love the fact that really in, in any space, but certainly in a small space as well, you can create kind of like your own microclimate. And isn't yeah. it funny mm. how kind of uh, different things impact it? Like your arga may actually be impacting what you can grow in your courtyard. Yes. That's, isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't imagine that. Yeah. No, you're so right. Because I mean, it did just that. It's probably a minuscule difference between, you know, uh, yeah. being too cold and being warm enough. And it's it's That's not... Right. It's not as if all my heat is escaping through the wall, but it does. It does that. It does make that much difference. Yeah, that's awesome. I also like that our resident practical person, Ellen Mary, thought to put some kind of path into her garden because I <laughs> got so carried away planting up my tiny front garden that I very much didn't do that. And it was all right, obviously, to begin with, because you can step into yeah. quite large gaps. But now that my euphorbia and my stashes and all these things have rather expanded as I am as I get older they have gone outwards and um and now my other half sort of looks at me and says <laughs> <laughs> my other half uh, looks at me and is like yeah we need the meter reading and uh and yeah. I have to tiptoe and like stand I've done the same with and... my front garden yeah <laughs> to be fair to, to be fair I have put the path in but the olive tree is standing right in front of the gas box and I didn't the, the, the olive box. tree was already there and it is a little bit of a fiddle to get into the gas box but I'm not moving that olive tree so <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh. Um, I can give you small space gardening ideas, but I can show you my small space. Yes. You're already oh, on. Oh, Alan and I love the nosy factor. Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. That, that looks good. Yeah? Oh, that looks good. I love your hanging chair. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. I love a little swing. Yeah. So it's worked really well. And to be honest, it's, it's so dense. And there's this part in the middle where I kind of, I was tripping over my alliums trying to plant my gladioli and just it was all a bit awkward but I just I just want it full as possible and this was only when, when did I put this together only last October yeah not very wasn't long it? ago yeah so awesome. the whole thing has been created only that short time and I think people think that gardens take years to create but sometimes you can you can make it happen sooner by planting bigger planting closer I mean I'm lucky because I've always got plant leftovers from different you know work jobs and stuff but I just just shove it in really and it just becomes this whole melange of stuff certainly really. in a small yeah. garden you can definitely make yeah. it look more yeah mature. i actually like when i would then have a big garden at some point i'm a bit nervous of oh my god how do i fill a big garden and make it look full well you're gonna have to get more free plants i know you? i need to have a chat with someone who's got 32 acres maybe for some tips. <laughs> First of all, first of all, Michael, top tip is you learn to become a good propagator, and that's something you'll know about anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you do you do learn to do that because when we started, if I did, if I hadn't become a decent propagator of plants, I'd be bankrupt today. Yeah. <laughs> but it also it also affords you uh, another opportunity because the garden here, is, as you know, is open to the public five afternoons a week, um, and so any leftovers that I have, if they're looked after and they they look good enough, they go on the plant stand. And that helps us to earn some money to pay for some help in the garden. So, you know, it's, it's an ongoing sort of circle. It's a bit like digester. You put the raw materials in at the end and something marvellous comes out at the, at the other end. Ah, I love that. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Oh, but I would just be so impatient. I perhaps take a load of geranium and buy some in the meantime. 
<laughs> I'd be like, I'm not waiting for them. <laughs> Honestly, it's really bad since he's had this garden. He texts me things like, well, what do I do? Now the, now the tulips are finished. I want to remove all the foliage. I'm like, you can't remove all the, all the foliage. And he's like, yeah, but it, it doesn't look very nice. So I don't think they'll flower again anyway. But to be quite honest, I think, well, that serves you right for planting them right next to the pathway, doesn't it? <laughs> what, what would you do with tulips, Alan? I'm asking everyone on earth. What would you do with tulips? <laughs> well, I mean, we I do some and some. Some uh, the tulips that are planted directly in the ground, we tend to leave them, and if they mm -hmm. come up the next year, then fine. Some mm -hmm. you will find it will persist in in an area that all the books tell you tulips won't grow. Yeah. But yeah. Somehow, perversely, they will grow in that one area where they shouldn't grow. Um, all of the tulips that we grow in containers, we give the bulbs away. We give them to the local school or the WI. Michael, there you go. Get more charitable and start giving some of your stuff yeah, away. Yeah, I'm happy to give them away, yeah, because I'm worried that I'll plant, I can plant on top of them, but you kind of end up like chipping away at them when you plant, won't you? Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, it, I mean, if a tulip blooms for you in its first year, mm. I mean, look at it as a bunch, like a bunch of flowers. You've had your fun, yeah. you've had, you've had yeah. your fun, you've had your pleasure and go on to something else in, in the next year, which you can do um, affordably in, in a small yeah. garden, in larger well, spaces. Yeah. It's a bit more difficult, but I mean, I would, I would definitely say that if your tulips come up for the second year, you'll get more leaf and more flower and that'll make you more and more angry. <laughs> but you know what? The foliage is not so bad if you just kind of adjust your mind and think of it like a hosta, early hosta. <laughs> I like Am that. I really disillusioned by that? <laughs> yeah, I've never really just, just kid yourself. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I think actually, like on a completely serious note, I think when you've got a small garden, you have got to be kind to yourself and you've got to limit your expectations mm. a little bit because um, I've heard increasingly from people like Richard Hobbs, the wonderful botanist, we visited him at his garden and it was looking amazing because Gardener's World had just visited to film. And part mm. of that was achieved by basically putting lots of stuff at the allotment. It's like when people are coming around my house and everything goes under the bed. You know, you, yeah. you, you don't in a small garden have the place to just shove stuff. It's like all of my sort of seedlings, which are in this sort of holding pen, waiting for a gap to put them in. They're just on the patio. It looks awful. Can I just, can I just tell you something? You wait till you've lived in a house for 40 years. And, I, and I'll say, oh, Sancho's coming around. Where shall I put this? He said, put it under the bed. That's full, you fool. <laughs> <laughs> a true gardener's house. I think the other maxim you have to have to realise is that when you have, I always tell this to people when they get their first greenhouse, it will never be big enough and whatever space you have, you fill. And you would do the same with your garden. So if you say, I'd love to have some overflow space, what do you do when that becomes full? <laughs> yeah, true, true. True, it's, it's totally oh. and utterly true. Well, Ellen yeah. laughed at my, because um, my garden's there and I actually, I've got like the driveway and that's where I have kind of like my, almost my nursery bed with all the kind of leftover plants or the ones that aren't quite good enough to be seen here. So I guess I have got that hidden spot. He's got the, the hidden yeah. spot, but it's getting filled up really quickly. And he said, just go and look through that gate. So I went through the gate and then he offered me some plants. So now I know you offered me those plants, but you literally just said they're the ones that aren't good enough for my garden. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, no, there's a spare agapanthus that you're very welcome to. Thank you. There's a pyrus as well. And there's also 50 dianthus plants. 
But basically, my garden is the second-rate Michael Perry garden. (laughs) Because it rained last night, I've been manically planting this morning as well, because I've just been waiting for this moisture. (laughs) You do have the allotment, obviously, Ellen Mary. So the problem, of course, if your allotment's all singing or dancing and your garden wants to perform, then you definitely don't have anywhere to, to sort of shove things. The allotment, um, I think probably from this conversation, you may have worked out that I'm quite practical and like to plan things out. The allotment is is 80% meticulously planned out. I know what I'm going to plant where, but then there's always things that don't germinate or I get more of one thing than the, the other, so things get a bit muddled up. There's often things I forget to label. Then, of course, you go to the garden centre or the nursery and you see plants that you buy anyway, like Alan was saying, you buy it whatever plant it worry about it when you get back with it so there's that element to it as well but I there's always space I Mm. I even if everything is rammed that a gardener has this incredible capacity to find space and there's never been a plant that I've been given or bought that I cannot find a space for, no matter what. Do you ever multi-crop where you have one crop under another? Almost? Yeah, that's so that's quite, cool, quite useful, yeah. especially like I grow quite a lot of lettuce at, um, as the corn is growing, because the corn will take a while to grow mm. and then I'll harvest the lettuce and there'll be more lettuce somewhere else, that kind of thing. Yeah, there's just, there is always some way of growing what you want to grow, you know, mm. no matter how much space you do or don't have. What's been your most exciting performer on the allotment this year? This strange, strange weird year. Me, you've had. me. You have, a, you have performed on my allotment this year, Jessica. Have I not? I no. skipped for you in uh, Kings Lynn last week. You did skip. Yeah, we went to Seagate Irises and I made Michael skip and we discovered that Michael can't skip. Um, the best performer on I my... I can roll my tongue. On the allotment this year is uh, actually... Well, I'm going to... They're not... They're not they're not performed just yet but I know they're gonna is my chickpeas so I've never the one this is something that I love about gardening as well there's always something new to try isn't there and I've never grown chickpeas and the flowers look like a little bird don't they the flowers look slightly different to a little bird they look look quite Instagram yeah they're quite rude a really cute little bird yeah cute little something um but I I I have like half a plot because all the plots are uh separated uh they're split into two and then there was another plot which is another kind of there's a my neighbor's plot and there's another half a plot it was been it's been vacant for years so I contacted the council and said look it's been here for years can I take it so now I have the equivalent of a full-size plot and so I figured that that second plot was going to be my experimentation plot and so I'm growing soya beans and chickpeas (laughs) (laughs) I love that laugh it's the best thing ever (laughs) (laughs) I just look I just looked up to see what a chickpea flower looks like So um, anyway, at the moment, those chickpeas are genuinely storming away. They are growing wonderfully well. The foliage looks so pretty. The flowers are the talking point of the allotment plot holders this year. Um, So I'm loving those. Um, I've also, I've got all the kind of traditional stuff that you would imagine on an allotment, you know, onions and potatoes and all of the salads, turnips, which I absolutely love and have just harvested my first ones, no bigger than golf ball size, if they get bigger. Oh, that's right, that's so right. If they're any bigger, they're just not, not delicious. (laughs) 
<laughs> they, 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 the texture on them is not nice. That's right. Yeah, they're kind of a bit woody if they... What about those sweet ones yeah. we had woody. last autumn? Yeah, Remember? the sweet varieties oh, were lovely. Like watermelon flavour. Mm, they oh, were very, gorgeous. very good. Mm. But the golf ball size turnips are, are doing mm -hmm. wonderfully well at the moment. I garden on a very sandy soil, um, but I, um, I use plant grow and I know Alan... No, no, yeah, I, I know. I, I knew I'd seen you on the advertising. I want some Bronx more. Who do I need to flirt with? Who do you need to flirt with? <laughs> this is what we have to deal with. Um, but it really helps to retain the moisture in that sandy soil. And um, the carrots uh, grow superbly well because it's retaining the moisture, but the sandy soil is just perfect for growing kind of root you, crops. You'd be so. good at bulbs then as well, right? But yeah. All the spring bulbs were yeah, really yeah. good this year. Generally... Like a mini in, Kirkenhoff. In... <laughs> <laughs> Why does that sound so saucy? <laughs> oh, you're a mini Kirkenhoff. Because you make, you make it sound saucy, that's uh, why. Can I ask a question? Yes. Is, may I see your Kirkenhoff? Oh... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yes, you'll show you. <laughs> I don't think he was talking to me. Oh, really? <laughs> well, I will as well, but you have to pay a subscription. <laughs> oh my God, where am I? <laughs> but basically, your soil is great for what you want to grow. Yes. <laughs> after, after all of that, the soil is wonderful. It's a sandy soil, but it's no dig. Plant grow on top, retains the moisture. It seems to be a really good combination for growing vegetables. <laughs> yeah, all is good. And then seeing as we have, you know, a real vegan enthusiast, vegan, like you are big um, on sort of singing the praises of a vegan lifestyle and inspiring other people. That's so nice to say that, thank you, because I, I, I don't ever want to sound like I'm preaching it, or anything, I don't, do you know what I mean? I don't want to sound like that in any way at all. All I, I can say is that I know how amazing it's been for me and my health and my own well-being. And I, as far as I'm concerned, when you look at plants, like plants are everything. You know, my whole world is about plants. So to eat a plant-based diet kind of just seemed very natural to me, you know, and, and when I just, for me, when I look at like this amazing planet that we live on, you know, we're no diff we're a species the same as every other species and I wouldn't want to eat you. So I'm not <laughs> going to eat meat or fish either. Um, but, you know, I, to, but growing my own vegetables, it makes you eat more plants in your diet so even if you do eat you know meat and fish as well when you grow your own you you just you you can't wait to eat what you've grown you know it's so exciting and it's so much more flavorsome and um I just find for me that kind of whole that yes the veganism the plant-based living it, it it's taught me more empathy it's taught me patience it's just taught me to look at the world in a in a different way and it's improved my health and my mental health well-being you know exponentially so yes I do advocate it but I hope I don't preach it is there like uh, I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of of making plant-based food like enticing particularly if they've got a resistant significant other in their household are there any like top tricks for sort of I don't know sprucing things up doing something different that people might not expect always herbs definitely <laughs> grow your own herbs and since no, you know, agree probably... with that yeah yeah absolutely agree with that yeah it's it's, it's so true i think i think this the thing that i mean i'm not vegetarian i'm not vegan but the thing that ha has, has always fascinated me and continues to do so 
is when I actually eat either vegetarian or vegan food and I'm not aware of the fact that I'm eating it and I'm enjoying it. Mm. And I'm suddenly thinking to myself afterwards, you know, I think that's what? <laughs> <laughs> How did that taste so good? <laughs> yes, exactly that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So usually the meat that we eat, the flavor isn't really actually just in the meat, it's in the seasoning, you know, mm. or, or how we season our food. So that's really no different with vegan food. You know, it's seasoning it well, you know, lots of lovely, delicious herbs. And there's so many more, you know, herbs that are available now, like hot and spicy oregano, for example. It's amazing. Like when you put that into <laughs> some dishes, um, you know, an orange thyme and lemon thyme, and you get to experiment with all these amazing herbs in your food. So um, you always need to have things like chickpeas in the cupboard. I know I'm like on about chickpeas, but you always need to have them. Oh, you love a bit of hummus. Uh, I love hummus. Yeah, he <laughs> takes a mickey out of me because I eat hummus all of the time. Um, but Hummus you know, is her go-to. <laughs> I think it's like, it's it's really, it's taking cooking back to basics. So actually taking out the meat, which is the addition, um, and mm. just looking at the fruit and vegetables, you know, and, you know, and, and making those tasty. Well, even, and it's not that hard. Yeah, even for non-vegans, there shouldn't be the assumption that you need to eat meat with every meal anyway. That seems yeah, really... Yeah. Yeah. silly to me I don't know I mean we already yeah. know that if we just lessen yeah. our meat intake that's a great thing you know so <clears> if we do that and we grow our own food if we can or you know buy hello from... Mary when are we going to have a cookbook oh, oh you never know you never... the way I'm you talking about veganism natural fact you know there's, there's a little bit more to this than perhaps just changing your diet yeah uh, yeah I think it is it 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 takes you on a bit of a journey you know, yeah. when I first, so I, I'll tell you very briefly why I became vegan. It was purely selfish. I kept getting indigestion. So I can't, I was vegetarian for quite a few years selfish. anyway, <clears throat> but I kept getting yeah. really bad indigestion. I had loads of tests and it was really getting me down. Every time I ate, I'd get indigestion. Blah, blah, blah. And someone somewhere said to me, try eating uh, plant-based. And I thought, well, I'll just do it for a month and see if, if it works. And I said to my husband, who was a massive meat eater, you know, he he would have to have meat, you know, with pretty much every meal. I said, look, can you help me out here? Because I don't know what I'm doing. Can you do it with me for about three weeks? You know, so so the shopping is easier. So my cooking is easy, you know, all of that. And he said, yes, but not the milk. I don't I want to have my milk. And I said, no, if you're going to do it, you're going to do it. And he was like, oh, you know, if I've got to. Anyway, I after three weeks, my indigestion had improved massively. And my husband is still vegan to this day. He would absolutely not go back because the food we made was so good. Um, there's, there's something even more special about growing your own food as well, you know, and just learning to cook better. So it might be that he's still vegan because I have learned to cook better than before, perhaps, I don't know, but it is a journey. And so, you know, after a few months, you then start thinking, yeah, about the planet and how reducing meat intake um, and, and the seas and such like, it, it's beneficial. You know, we do need to be looking at our diets going forward. And then I just found in general, this whole kind of more empathetic, empathetic view for people in the planet, really. So you, I think you do, it's, it is bigger than just not eating meat or dairy. And you go on a lovely journey. And yes, sometimes you do miss cheese and you might miss eggs and you might want a Cadbury's chocolate bar. But once you've kind of got to the point where you understand what you're doing better and why, you just don't really want it anymore. Hmm.
I feel inspired. Never mind FOMO. I've got like lifestyle FOMO. (laughs) (laughs) Herbs, anyway. The question was about, well, you know, cooking. Herbs, that's it. That's my answer. That's that's not FOMO, that's FOLO. FOLO. Fear of living out. And we just had a vegan takeaway for lunch. And and you had, uh, I think it was seitan, you know, this kind of gluten uh, meat substitute. And you kind of, if you gave that someone that didn't know, they probably would assume it was meat. Yeah. Because it was just, you know, shavings yeah. on top of chips. Like and jackfruit. Jackfruit's yeah. amazing. Banana blossom. Banana blossom you can oh. make into like fish. So wrap your banana blossom with some seaweed. Oh my gosh, amazing. And then batter it and it's just like a piece of fish. Um, and yes, so jackfruit, you can kind of um, make that into like barbecue pulled pork, got its tins out. So there's so many plants but, that you can actually kind of make to be similar to the texture and flavor of but meat. But uh, when I had banana blossom in Erpingham in Norwich, I was amazed because when you open a banana blossom, it almost looks like you've got bones inside. <laughs> so it's like, it looks like bony fish. It could not be more realistic. It's amazing. <laughs> Right, well, before we have to wrap things up, we should do some FLOMO so that plant, seeing as we are basically completely plant obsessed in their kind of growing way on this podcast, the plant that you've seen, whether it's on Instagram, in a magazine, in someone's garden, you're like, oh, I want to grow that. Uh, that. That is what FLOMO is for us. Actually, mine, I saw this so long ago on your Instagram, Michael, and it was very similarly, similar time. It was on Alan's Instagram. And it's a Kalanchoe called Dolly, and I've not seen it on anybody else. Oh, yeah. Dolly. Go get it. I'll, I'll get it's you not Dolly. <laughs> Can we say hello, Dolly? We've, I'm actually uh, testing it as an outdoor patio plant at the moment. But these Kalanchoe, they're, they're a bit odd because they flower and then they're kind of done. But Dolly might be a bit different. Definitely the smaller ones, they're kind of they're over. But look, isn't it gorgeous? Oh, I love it. Oh my God. So basically like a flaming Katie on steroids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But also, I know you love it as well, the Magic Bells one. The Magic Bells. Oh my God, they're amazing. (laughs) Oh, this is show and tell. Oh, that one's dead, that one's dead. Get the other one. (laughs) It's dead, but you you don't notice it's dead because it's got those papery flowers on. (laughs) Look at that, isn't that cool? They are cool. They're a bit flimsy though. You feel like that could break really easily. But they don't. No. That's awesome. And they, they last longer than any of the other Calanchoe, actually, to be honest. I keep saying Calanchoe because I made some content for Always Calanchoe, the Dutch company, and they corrected my pronunciation. My least favorite thing in horticulture. I'd just been saying Calanchoe for years, and they were like, We'd rather you said Calanchoe. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> They're paying, so you say it. <laughs> oh. I don't know what the fuss is about that stuff, but yeah. I, I do need Dolly in my life though, whether it's a Kalanchoe, a Kalanchoe, or as I spent the early part of my life before I got properly into gardening saying, a Kalancho. Uh, yeah, I've said Kalancho yeah, in the past. Which is also yeah. absolutely fine. I've said Kalancho, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, what did you just show and tell us in the midst of that? Because oh, it's still well, peeping into the edge of picture. Or not? Well, we, we got distracted, but bring it in. Yeah. Just, oh, just, well, just throw flowers at the screen. Well, our, um, I guess with Flomo, our Mechanopsis disqualified because everyone chooses them. <laughs> Which one? Oh, I don't know what my Flomo would be. I think I know what mine would yeah? be. What is it? I saw them in your garden earlier on. Thalictrum, mm, which I cannot oh, grow. And they're really? so dainty and so pretty. Um, they Do they like a little bit of shade? Is that why perhaps my garden's 
super hot and summer sunny. In sun as well. Mm. Yeah, summer sun. I mean, some actually grow in very, very moist conditions. Mm. Right. Um, some grow in, in, you know, almost pure sand. So it's, mm. it depends on what, which variety you've got. Well, maybe yeah. I'll look that one up and try them on the yeah, allotment. I'm not even sure then, what I've got. Maybe, but, but I noticed <coughs> them growing in your borders, and they just so the dainty little flowers are so <laughs> pretty, and I've just never really grown them before. So uh, I'm pretty sure that's what I would pick. Oh, I'll tell you what. Oh, sorry, I want to tell you about old plants now. Do you know this camellia, <laughs> the one called Cupido? Yes. Oh my God, it's lovely. It's got a flower that's only that big. It's yeah. like two centimeters across, but it only flowers for a week. <laughs> One week out of 52, I was apoplectic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it's so not worth it. <laughs> um, I have another one. And Alan, oh. this, this is because I saw it at East Ruston many years ago. And it's the Poya, the one oh, with the blue yeah. flowers. And I can remember you saying that when it's in um, countries where there are hummingbirds, that hummingbirds love it. And I would mm. love to have one of those. Yeah. Mm. Well, in actual fact, it's funny you say that, Ellen Mary, but we've got... Um, we've got two sorts that are flowering this year for the first time in five years, one oh. of them. Oh, that's cool. Um, wow. And that's the one with the um, brilliant sort of turquoise flowers, three-petal flowers, little orange-tipped anthers. Uh, that's the classic yeah. one, yeah. That's absolutely just... It goes up yeah. to about eight, 10, 12 feet. Um, oh. But the other one, which is Puya cerulea, which has the most vibrant blue flowers, and yeah. again, pollinated by hummingbirds. But the bees and the wasps and everything else seem to do a good job of it for us. Yeah. You get seed when they flower. Yeah, it's a Chilean plant or a South American plant, and they make these huge rosettes. And you have to wait for that rosette to get big enough and strong enough and butch enough to flower. When they do, <laughs> up comes the flower spike, and Mama down here, she dies. Oh, wow! <laughs> and, but she leaves behind lots of little offsets, and you've got to wait then another three, five, seven years for those offsets in turn to grow bigger. So we are eventually hoping to get a clump where we get flowers every year. But I have to tell you, the clump at the moment is about 10 feet across. So how big it's going to have to be before we get flowers every year, I don't know. <laughs> Pretty wow. big, I would think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But oh I tell God. you what, that's when gardening teaches you patience, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yes, it certainly does. Yeah. And the other thing it teaches is to be careful. Michael, you mentioned bears breeches or acanthus as being really, really prickly and horrible. Puyas, they have barbs on the leaves, so that if you put your hand in, you can't get it out. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that they trap sheep. Ah. And they trap sheep, so the sheep can't get out away from the plant. Yeah. It then dies, and the plant feeds on the residue of the, of the rotting sheep. That's, oh, so that's wow. almost carnivorous. Not really, because the, the, the rotting sheep goes into the ground and the roots feed yeah, on yeah. it. That's oh, wow. a, that, isn't that amazing? Like, that's, that's like the circle cool, yeah. of life. I love that. Oh, yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. Oh. What was um, your FLOMO, Alan, by the way? My FLOMO? Oh, well, I haven't got one, but what I have got. <laughs> no, I haven't got one, but what I have, because I've done this, and I just, I mean, it's causing so much fascination in the garden. We had a private tour on Monday, and everybody was sort of scratching their heads and all the rest of it, as they did at Chelsea when it was first grown. Thunder, you probably know what I'm going to say now. But, um... I was just going to say to people who have small gardens and they want something challenging, a, a good vertical plant. I've already mentioned Echium pinanana. Thought is you've got your amimagus growing on the path where you say it shouldn't be. I bet it looks marvellous where it is. Um, but I'm just going to say to you, why don't you take a leaf out of Cleve West's book and use a vegetable in your flower garden that's unexpected, taken out of context 
it suddenly becomes something else. And this is an umbrella. Um, and he, what he actually used was parsnips. And the great and the good of the Chelsea Flower Show judges were walking around, and, well, I don't know what the you know, scratching their head and everything else. Um, and it was simply a parsnip. Now, all you've got to do, don't bother buying parsnip seed, go to your farm shop and buy a parsnip, plant it and watch it go up to seed and flower. Oh, but don't, God, that's don't do that. Oh, oh my God. What an awesome <laughs> idea. <laughs> and it's this most beautiful lime green inflorescence, this umble in lime green. Oh, I love umbles though. I love umbella, yeah. isn't it? Awesome, oh. yeah. Oh, that, that is an excellent <clears throat> oh idea. And if it goes to seed, you can have lots and lots of parsnips. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but they're about to germinate, aren't they? They yeah, hard? they can be, but they're not. Not if you let the seed just go like, on the nah, ground. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> no problems there. <laughs> not in Going on my allotment. Oh. <laughs> the final little bit of the podcast, because I we, we talked so much about everything else. We didn't really do any show and tell, but clearly you've got uh, you've got plants by the screen. Well, I brought this here, and Alan, I hope you know this petunia already, because this is it's quite new to market. It's been around perhaps two seasons now. It's amazing. It's a hybrid with calabrocoa and petunia, and it's called Beauty Cow, and the colours are just out of this world. Look at those colours. Oh Amazing. Aren't they gorgeous? Look. Pinks, uh, oranges, the cream, kind of scarlets. Terracotta. You've got the kind of vanilla there. Caramel. Can you can you keep the pink ones and keep the red ones? And I'd like the terracotta and the caramel. I know. <laughs> Those three just I really work would. perfectly. I, I, I know exactly what I'd use them in a summer container. And that would be that begonia called dying embers, which has brown foliage and orange flowers. Yeah. And I also use that lovely little um, oxalis with the orange and red, orangey red stems and bright limey yellow leaves. Wow. That would look fantastic. It's really such a cool plant. Say the name again, uh, Michael, please. You are Beauty Cow. Who on earth thought that? <laughs> <laughs> but it's amazing. It's from Sakata in Japan and it's been around a couple of seasons. Very weatherproof. Really, I mean, this is a colour break I've never seen before. It's just amazing. And I've actually okay. underplanted my bamboo with it. And I'm really excited yeah. about the coffee colours underneath the exactly. stem there. Yeah, yeah really cool. I, think I, I sowed a, a packet of seed from Sakata mm -hmm. in Japan. Well, I didn't. Ian did, who works in the garden here. Um, it was 19 years old and we had 100% germination. Can you believe oh. that? What was it? What was it? It was Zinnia, and it was one of the first sort of foil packets that was ever used. It was quite amazing. That seed That's wanted cool. to grow. That's yeah. for sure. That is yep. awesome. Have you yep. got a show and tell then? Well, I'm at your house, so I didn't bring a show and tell because somebody didn't warn me. But I will just show you something that I've noticed sitting on Michael's worktop. Gooseberries? <laughs> yes. I'm gonna no, it's an egg. Tell. I'm going to show and tell these gooseberries. Mainly because I absolutely love gooseberries. We're going to have gooseberry gazoose We're in a minute. We're going to have gooseberry gazoose. And um, also I noted there's a bit of a theme running through this podcast with regards to the plants that I like. They're all prickly. <laughs> all the plants I've just, I've mentioned that I like are prickly. And yesterday I was, on the, I was on the allotment weeding and I've been literally covered in scratches from being in the gooseberries. So that's my show and tell. Gooseberries. Yeah. Guys, it's been so much fun. Will you come back again? Yeah, of course, yeah. 
We love chatting plants and gardening. <laughs> Before we yes. go, remember my book. I'm called Mary Ellen and it's called The Joy of Growing. <laughs> Thank you. Good night. Have a lovely day, everybody, and happy gardening. <laughs> Thank you. Happy gardening. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm laughing too much. <laughs> Before we go, next week we're taking a break, just one week off for our summer holiday, but we'll be back the following week, so a fortnight's time for our first birthday episode, The Big 5-0. Stay tuned to find out what we've got lined up then.